0: WGR Sports Radio 550 presents...
1: We got at
0: Nate Geary Sports. And uh, Nate says, Merry Christmas to everyone except for Tom Brady, who is probably watching his own documentary with his family this morning. Sports Talk Saturday. We were watching the highlights of last year's Super Bowl, which we won, but
2: we weren't watching a documentary. (laughs) Does Nate actually play sports? Emotional damage on WGR. good? Not little against. Day. He died of emotional damage. Sports Radio 550. Good morning. I could tell you what emotional damage really is when you wake up and you realize that your allergies are back, which I thought were gone um, because we're now in July and I assumed that the Cottonwood season where the little snowflakes are flying everywhere. I thought that was over, um, and then I woke up and quickly realized that that was not the case, and I have been sniffling and sneezing and um, having almost no fun whatsoever this morning. So welcome, and enjoy uh, the next hour and a half or so of me sniffling and probably sneezing um, and rubbing my eyes, because I think all of a sudden it's spring again, and I don't know what's happening here in Western New York. So good morning, everybody. Nick Erie here. Sports Talk Saturday. Uh, Hanging out with you. A little bit of an abbreviated show today. I've got a wedding to go to this afternoon. My cousin's... My cousin Nicholas's wedding. So uh, I have to leave at 1230. So we're going to play back for you guys a bunch of stuff from yesterday's press conferences. You guys are going to hear from Jerry Fortin, the director of amateur scouting. We're going to hear from Sabres general manager, Kevin Adams. We're going to hear from Thad Brown. I'm sure at some point it was on one bills live earlier this week. Um, so we've got a lot to get to and a lot to uh, get through this morning and into the afternoon. And um, first of all, I mean, I, I started by saying, talking about Jerry Fortin. we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, I've got I've still got a, a nice little lineup of guests here going into the 12 o'clock hour. Joe Yerdon's gonna join me here in about ten minutes or so. Uh if you don't follow Joe on Twitter, please make a change and go follow him. It's very easy. It's at Joe Yurden uh on Twitter. He and uh his podcast co-host, um, Lance Lykowski, they do the maintenance day podcast, which you should go and check out because it's fantastic. Um he's gonna join us here in about 10 minutes or so. We're gonna to recap the NHL draft, talk about um you know, how the Sabres did and what they've got on the docket here moving into free agency next week. So Joe joins us in just under 10 minutes. Pete Smith of SI, he covers the Cleveland Browns. We're going to try to get, and try to attempt anyways here, to get both sides of the Baker Mayfield saga, right? I I, want to hear it from the Cleveland Browns side. We're going to do that at... 1130 with Pete Smith of SI. And then at noon, we're going to talk to Panthers beat reporter, Sheena quick. Um, and we're going to get the Carolina perspective of this, the move to trade for Baker Mayfield, um, and, and kind of find out what the plans are there. Like, uh, what's up with Sam Darnold and how does this offense look? And how does Baker Mayfield have enough time now between training camp, which opens in two weeks, um, to really get acclimated enough to really push Sam Darnold out of that starting quarterback position. So we'll talk to Sheena at 12 o'clock. Um, so before we bring Joe Yerdon on and uh, talk more about the Sabres, I am also going to just talk something briefly about the Sabres here. Um, if you haven't had an opportunity yet to listen to the Jerry Fortin uh, interview, this is the first time I've familiarized myself with uh with Mr. Fortin um and that's because he's the director of amateur scouting it's not a guy that's necessarily on the forefront not a guy that's on the front lines taking a lot of interviews doing a lot of uh PR and, and and media opportunities this is a guy that's behind the scenes um who has been I mean an integral part of this draft process I'm sure um so there was a lot to to yesterday anyways to be made um of hit the job that he and Kevin Adams both did. Um, what I'm doing is I'm quickly going back. So I, I, I'm looking at sort of Jerry Fortin's career arc. And this is a guy that was at the college level as an, as an assistant coach for the University of Niagara. Uh, right down the road, right? Right down the, the 290. And, or the 190, I should say and then he went to UMass Lowell for a couple of years as an assistant coach, assistant coach, and then he was assistant coach for the Sabres in 2013-2014. Then he was promoted to a scout, an amateur scout. Then he was the director of scouting uh, from 2015-2016, 2016-2017. Then he was director of collegiate scouting from 2017 all the way to 2020. Um, and then now he is the director for the Sabres of amateur scouting. So this is a guy that really from 2013, so almost uh, m- more than a decade here in this organization, has kind of been through it all here I mean the Jason Bottrell era the end of the um the end of the Darcy Regeer era I believe is going to run into here like it, and then you've got you know Tim Murray so Jerry Fett uh, Jerry Fortin has kind of gone through the ringer in terms of you know a lot of the churning and burning here at this uh here in, in Buffalo for the Sabres organization he's sort of been at all of the lows, which has been for the past decade. There have not been very many highs. Um, If you did not hear his interview yesterday, we're going to play that back for you guys in the 1230 slot. So 1230 to one o'clock, we'll throw a break in there. But I was, I mean, I watched the highlight video of it like 25 times. And if you go on Twitter and You type in Jerry Fortin and you go to videos. I mean, every single person that was covering the draft in Montreal that was covering that press conference uh, tweeted out about it and tweeted the video out. And it was Jerry Fortin becoming very emotional um, when talking about Kevin Adams. And the thing, the reason I'm starting the show with this is, you know, there's been an expectation, there's been a, not a rumor, rumor's the wrong word. There's been an inkling that things have sort of, been changing within the Sabres organization. And, and a lot of it had to do with the play on the ice last year, bringing the guys in like Alex Tuck, who very clearly have moved this organization from a leadership perspective. Uh, you know, Kevin Adams talks about wanting people that want to be here, and that is Alex Tuck, right, and Peyton Crubs. The the big trade with Eichel last year, and you get two guys that want to be here playing in Buffalo. And I think that mattered um, for how Kevin Adams was going to make that Jack Eichel trade, was finding guys that were going to fit in around the culture he was attempting to build here. And I think moving away from guys like Sam Reinhard and, and Jack Eichel were an attempt to move the culture in a different direction. Now, whether or not you want to blame Jack Eichel for the toxic culture that existed here, it existed, and he was part of the problem. I, I'm not going to tell you that Jack Eichel was all of the problem. I, I I would push back greatly to say that I'm just going to blame Jack Eichel, and now that he's gone, the, the culture's good. I, a lot of culture stems from being able to win um, and win early in regimes, and I think you know although the sabers were 8 games below 500 last year um that's an organization that won some games toward the end and created and gained some credibility for not just the head coach Don Granada who i do think is absolutely has the respect of this locker room which i and rightfully so um but Kevin Adams, Kevin Adams makes some really hard decisions. He was faced with a similar decision that Jason Bottrell was, was, was faced with, right? Jason Bottrell traded away Ryan O'Reilly. And at the end of the day, the return on that trade was not good. Except it kind of turned into something with Tage Thompson scoring, you know, almost forty goals last season. That trade has been looking and trending in the right direction. And and rightfully so. I mean, that's thank God. Um but to see the emotion. Um, when asked a pretty basic question, you know, th- th- this wasn't a pry. This wasn't, you know, th- there was at least in my, uh, to my knowledge, I don't know anybody or I don't know a situation that may have happened, um, to Jerry Fortin either personally or or professionally that that maybe put him in a situation where he was being emotional. And and I'm, I, I kind of want to commend Jerry Fortin because what it shed a light on is the absolute shift in culture that Kevin Adams has been able to cultivate and I think for me like I, I'm excited to kind of talk about this with Joe Yurden because I, I I'm interested in what his take is because I think I, I'm not going to say that the Sabres organization has been a toxic work culture I, I'm not sure that, that that might be a little aggressive that might push the boundaries of what's actually happening I'm not inside of the walls at you know Key Bank Center or you know at, at PSC I don't know what the true culture is there but I know after COVID and the turmoil of the Eichel situation, firing Jason Bottrell, you know, laying off a lot of employees during COVID. I, there was a, a sense to me that the culture, the work environment culture was not particularly good in this organization. And i had always suspected. And, and when people asked me, hey, you know, what do you think of Kevin Adams? My, my, my thought had always sort of been like he was kind of the perfect guy for the job because the Pagulas really respect Kevin Adams. And he went from, you know, working at the Harbor Center part of, you know, like junior Sabre development to being an NHL general manager with no experience. And I think a lot of people probably laughed that off originally. I'm probably chief among them. But I think there was a real sense that Kevin Adams had the ear of ownership. And if Kevin Adams could steer the ship the right way and empower people in positions where they can do their job. Kevin could handle selling it to the Bagulas and telling them that that was the way to go, and going out and getting Jason Karamanos, going out and getting you know and beefing up their analytics department and allowing numbers to help them make better decisions on ice and off. I, I think was sort of a big movement for this franchise, and and Kevin Adams in, in really entrusting people, but but giving people and empowering people um, to make decisions for this organization, and I think that's probably why you see a Jerry. Um, a Jerry Fortin gets so emotional is, you know, for a long time, he went through the ringer and now he's being empowered to do what he does best. And I think that there is just in any work environment. um, It's important to feel like your role is appreciated by your boss. And just to see the emotion on, on, on Jerry Fortin's face yesterday, it was a very organic and very real moment. And I think it's. You know, maybe it's cliche and maybe I'm overreacting, but it sort of felt like the the outward media version of like the tr- the turning point for this franchise, right? The that things are getting better, that things are going to be better, and how bad they've been. But you've got guys that have been part of this whole process that are very emotional about the transition, about where this franchise is going, and and you can't. That's not stuff you can fake. Um, so I, I just I I felt rather moved by watching it yesterday. And um, on the Western Hotline now, we've got Joe Yerdin who's going to join me. We're going to chat about this to start. And if you don't know Joe for whatever reason, if you're under a rock for whatever reason, he hosts the Maintenance Day podcast with other very handsome gentlemen, Lance Lykowski. So if you follow uh, Joe on Twitter, you can find his, uh, the link to uh, his noted hockey substack as well. Um, Joe, good morning to you, my friend, and happy post-draft day.
0: Yes, it's yes, a very happy post-draft day to you. I don't know if that's a really uh, a greeting, but uh, we're making it one. Now, it
2: okay. kind of is. I mean, listen, amongst friends, I don't have, because we are not next to each other, you're not in studio, I can't crack a beer with you, which is what we would normally do. So <laughs> I might as well just, you know, hop right into an interview and just kind of breeze by the introduction because I can't dap you up and, and, and crack a beer with you, you know
0: yeah yeah no i mean listen uh a dapping up a beer at 11, 11 in the morning might get us uh might get us some squirrely looks, though so it's, well you know, it's rookies. joe it is things? um
2: it's taste of buffalo Saturday, so people probably oh, have been drinking for a few hours now
0: that's uh that's a good call I don't know if uh starting the day off with lots of lots of beers and stuff in your face with with great food is it's a it's a recipe for a bad night
2: <laughs> or just an early night like an eight p m bedtime which i'm yeah. which I'm
0: not always against to be honest yeah no listen'm I'm, I'm with you I'm with you hundred percent there I was I was ready to I was ready for bed very early last
2: night. I'm ready for bed right now so uh, you know you you tell me. um Joe, obviously yesterday uh, was sort of the culmination of two long days and frankly not that long I mean I feel I, I covered the NFL draft. the NHL draft felt like the most efficient thing I have ever come across in my entire life. I mean finishing in like four hours um, yesterday was a, a borderline miracle um, all in all. When you sort of look at the greater picture of this draft, the Sabers—they don't really move up at any point. There was rumors, obviously, the Matt Murray situation where they could have ended up with seven and nine. That would have been pretty dandy. I would have really liked that situation for the Sabers. But short of that not happening, it feels overall, because you're kind of a vibe connoisseur, the vibes are all pretty good. Um, you know, I, I feel like Kevin Adams. I, I feel like we're starting to learn what he values, right?
0: Yeah. No. I we I think we definitely have a beat on it now um he values high skill he values uh high offense high offensive potential um and he values not trading up trading up picks he values not trading uh, unless you're going to get number seven of course uh but he values not trading back or trading down or or, or doing things like that throughout the course of the draft so i mean uh, i look at that as a guy who's got his board and doesn't he doesn't want to deviate from it and he wants to make sure that uh he keeps the number of picks that he can help rebuild the, uh, the pipeline, so to speak. So, uh, I, listen, valuing, valuing offensive potential, valuing guys who can fill the net with goals, and valuing uh, high-skill Boy, oh boy, that's a pleasant change of pace. Yes, it is, <laughs> a Joe. a pleasant change of pace, man.
2: <laughs> it, it is definitely a pleasant change of pace. And, and listen, I mean, this organization has had the opportunity in the last, you know, two of the last four drafts to get cornerstone blue line players. And they have them in Owen Power and Rasmus Dahlin, and they're going to have that presumably for a very long time, and Matthias Samuelson, I think you can throw in there as well. And now the shift, I think, is is to replenish the cupboards of this organization at the forward position. And it's hard for me to look at the list of um, of prospects in this organization now after the three first-round picks and not think that, like... You know, this was sort of the point where Tim Murray decided that he was bored of drafting players and and, and developing them and getting them through the AHL and then, you know, to the NHL level. He got bored and he became an NHL EA Sports, you know, PlayStation 2 general manager and decided, well, we're going to move all of these pieces um, for for larger contracts and guys that we believe are going to be elite at this level. And obviously we know how that turned out. And I think there still is a faction of people, Joe, that the patience part of this is by far the most difficult of, and, and this goes beyond just the NHL, Joe, this is the NFL, the NBA Patience is not a virtue that exists currently in professional sports outside of the walls of Western New York,
0: but it appears that they do exist here in Western New York. Yeah. You know, I- I I understand having that pressure to want to just, you know, end, you know, end the drought, just get back to the playoffs and think you can start going from, you know, building up from there and being, you know, you get to the playoffs once and you're like, okay, we got there, now we can build on that, we can get better. The problem with with punting on the you know, on building your pipeline and building building up the minors and building up your prospect base and saying, okay, we're going to we're going pushing for the playoffs now is that you better be absolutely sure. You know, you got to be 100% sure that if you make this move, you're going to be a playoff team, and you're going to be able to win a round maybe two. Because once you decide you're sacrificing the future, you're doing that for a reason. You're doing it for, you know, because you think you're going to be around for a while. Because at that point, once you make the playoffs, and if you get deep into playoffs you're, you know, those, those first round picks aren't going to be very high up, you know, your second, you know, and every pick after that is going to be, you know, deeper into the round. So you're not really getting too hype on, on, you know, bringing young guys in at that point. So uh, in this case, listen, Sabres are not in that position yet, yet, yet. But, but like, you know, you look at where the, where the farm system is at this point now, where you're looking at Quinn and Paterka coming up and, you know, possibly being on the Sabres roster, you know, right off the bat next year. And you look at what's coming up in Rochester, you know, next season with you know, with guys like Kisikov and, and the like, uh, behind them, you're running low on guys. You know, there's not, there wasn't a lot of guys until, you know, until the last couple of days, there wasn't a lot of guys, you know, waiting in the wings to come through. So, you know, you, you need to build that up. You need to improve that. And get, you need to get that better. And uh, certainly it seems, you know, listen, again, Adam siding, Adam's and his crew siding with guys that can score, guys that can create, guys that have skill, guys that have speed. Uh, you can't ask for more than that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you can develop, you know, if a guy gets to a point in their development where, you know, maybe they're not scoring as much when they, you know, as they get older or, you know, something changes along the way, well, you can adapt them to make them to fit them, have them fit better as like a third or a fourth line type. You know, that's easy to do. Drafting guys who are already kind of at that level and expecting them to improve from there, might be asking a lot because it's only going to get harder as they get older. So, uh, so this is good. This is, this is a wise way to play it and, and to have guys that, you know, can start at that point where, you know, you get, you know, you get a guy from Russia who scored 40 last season, or, you, you know, you get these guys that are just feeding or feeding their line mates, uh, you know, tons of great passes for goals. Like that's, that's the best way to go to, to attack to attack the draft
2: Joe, I, I, I want to, before we talk about some of these prospects and, 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 and kind of dive a little deeper into this upcoming week, which is going to be free agency, which is exciting, um, I think for most people. Um, it used to be more exciting. It used to be like appointment television for me. I used to remember, like, you know, like leaving school and then like going to my buddy's house to watch TSN starting at noon. Those days are long gone, Joe, but, um, you know, and, I, and I'm thinking of, like, you know, the Stamkos era uh, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking of, like, a couple of other free agency periods. Where the Sabres were like kind of keen and in on the top guy. That's not going to be this year, Joe. Yeah, um, no. But the thing I really was sort of like this whole draft situation in the, the, the last two days was capped off by the by the Jerry Fortin interview yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. And I really wanted to ask you about that because, you know, from my perspective, um being a fan that has sort of pulled himself away from this, this whole Sabers debacle and and really I mean this probably started 3 or 4 years ago but you know I still watched every game over the last 2 years it just it, it hasn't been that emotional investment and it mostly because I never felt the emotional investment in return and people Whether it's your sports team, whether it's your job, you tend to want to feel emotional and you want to emotionally invest in things that you believe are being equally met equally with that emotional investment by the thing or the product that you are consuming. And I think... You know, this year we started to see that with Alex Tuck, right? And, and, and mm-hmm. kind of the vibes on the team and, and, and see them winning and having some, some, you know, moderate success. But to see someone who has been through all of the pitfalls, all of the, the valleys here. Now, I'm, I'm not here to tell you that where we're at's a peak, Joe. Um, yeah. but it certainly felt, felt like, the emotion I got from from Jerry Fortin was real. It was organic. And I've gotta tip my cap to Kevin Adams for creating a work environment that allows workers, people that work for you, to have that emotional investment and care that much. I it I mean, there's a lot you could take from that from that, you know, whatever it is, two minute soundbite. But I felt mm-hmm. genuinely moved to say, like, good for you, Kevin Adams, for creating this environment.
0: Yeah. I- You know, there's that. I mean, there's certainly a lot of that to it, but it's, I mean, it's been a pretty stressful time around the PSE offices, you know, with what's, with what's happened with Kim. I mean, that's, that's something that's wearing on everybody's minds as well. So this is, I mean, it's a lot of stuff for people to deal with. I mean, you're in that executive position like these guys are, they're much more, you know, in touch with, with ownership and they're much more, you know, hands on with, with, with everybody in charge. So. You know, you add that, you add the, you know, the part, you know, the parts where you're you're putting together a draft where it's very positive. You're building everything up. You're getting, you know, you're getting things back to a place where it's normal. You know, everything in with this team for so long has been abnormal. Mm. You know, you know, all over the place. Now you're getting to a spot where it's like, okay, we're starting. To, this is starting to get back to a place where this is an organization where we're feeling better about the direction where where we're going. You know, obviously, you know, lots of, you know, you have to see how the guys play out, how everything plays out in the future and, you know, uh, how you build the roster from here out. But um, but this is a spot where things are normalizing, you know. Think, I, I just think of how crazy stuff has been, you know, going back to, honestly, going back to when they fired Lindy. You know, you, you know they fire Lindy and everybody's like, well, Darcy's got to go too, right? And it's like, no, Darcy's staying. You know, four or five months later, Darcy's gone. So is so is Ron Ralston, and then you're you're bringing in Lafontaine. You're bringing in uh you're bringing yeah. in Ted Nolan, and then you know you're bringing in Tim Murray a couple of months later. And then Lafontaine, you know, it's yeah. been a cycle of craziness for so long, and now it's now it's normal. <laughs> it's kind of normal, you know. And the, the Sabers are being run kind of like how mm. other teams are trying to do it in a modern day. You know, you're bringing in smart analytics people you're bringing you know you're you're listening to lots of people as opposed to uh a gm or somebody you know or somebody from within picking one or two people and saying like well i value all your opinions but i'm going to listen to these two people most you know like yeah it's it's important to have those to have lots of voices to have everybody involved and have everybody feel like they're playing a role and i think that's that's a big part of having a, a successful organization you know it's not it's not always just the, the main person in charge, but it's it's how they're able to delegate things yeah. and how they're able to put people in positions to do their best. And I think that's that's an area. I think that's an area where Adams and, and Don Granado as well are, have been able to do that.
2: Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And and, and I'm glad you brought up Don Granado in this because he sort of has to be the mouthpiece for the players in this, right? And having that that environment trickle down from how people feel in the front office and how the staff feels but also that that has to trickle down not just to the vibes and the feels in the locker room for these players to give them an environment to succeed which i i want to say like maybe don granado has done a better job at that than anything else is creating an environment for young guys that really for the better part of the last couple of years have struggled um I, and obviously i'm i'm kind of most pointedly talking about Tage Thompson in this but the development of some of these players is very evident because they're now in an environment where they feel like they can actually develop and they can actually play their best and I there's something about having the two guys and Kevin Adams and Don Granado you know obviously Kevin Adams being a former player and Don Granado being essentially a life a lifetime coach and especially at the USA hockey level and especially at the level where these guys are are are, are sort of this is later on in the process than 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 traditionally Granado was going to be coaching these players. They're, they're, he's coaching them at 17, 18, 19 years old, and now he's getting them a little bit later on. And and, and I think that same style, though, Joe, is really speaking to the modern-day player because, hey, if it works in juniors, uh, if it works at the ve- developmental level, why can't it work at the NHL level? And I think we're finding out more and more, like, to to see – and and forgive me the, the the name of the Winnipeg coach that they just hired, but, like, you have all of these retreads on their 5th, 6th, 7th. John Tortorello just got hired, and you wonder, like, how come other teams can't see that, like, this is a new generation of player? The the 21-year-old is not going to respond to John Tortorello like the 21-year-old did 10 years ago.
0: Yeah, and, well, I, I think Torts might be a different different person because I think how Torts coached, coach back then is, is the exact same way he coaches now which i think is the, that's exactly what you're saying like, right that's it doesn't hit it doesn't hit the same way um and yeah you know you, you mentioned you mentioned winnipeg rick bonus i mean that's rick a Bonas, that he's yes. been around a long time he's a long time assistant i mean he's 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 had the unfortunate past of coaching some really awful teams and i'm talking like legendary legendarily awful teams like going back to uh, you know the first days of the ottawa senators so Um, but, but having a guy who's got a, a, just a different perspective, a different way of going about it. And, you know, a a career where, you know, his NHL career anyways, was spent a lot of time as an assistant, you know, for Donna. And it's when you play the role of an assistant, you're either, you're either going to be part one of the other bad cops, or you're going to be the good cop in that Mm. in the, in the coach's room. And I think Don I, – I don't think Don is ever a bad cop any place that he is. I think he's just a permanent good cop type of coach. And that's – having a guy in that role, like, you can sometimes worry that, you know, uh, the discipline factor might be an issue because, you know, if you're nice all the time, it's really tough when you got to really crack down. But that is not the case. Don, you know, I, I think Don's in that spot where it's it's like having – having a dad that's cool all the time but when he raises his voice you're like uh oh dad's mad <laughs> you know and I, I think I think Don's kind of that guy where it's like you know everything's easy going not easy going but like he's, he's fair everything's good but when he raises his voice you're like uh oh okay all right we we screwed up we gotta we gotta change this so um having that kind of you know means of of coaching and you know and handling the team and, and doing it that way I mean, it has a big effect, you know, like that's, that's being fair to everybody and, you know, being able to do, to do that and to push the right buttons. And, you know, honestly, the the roster's really young. So that's a perfect spot for, for a guy like Don, who's, who's had that USA hockey experience in the past. Like that's, yeah, that makes it, that makes it, that makes it more his wheelhouse. You know, you don't have to worry about appealing to older, older guys and their egos and, and this, that, and the other thing, but, you know, but I think if you ask Kyle Pozo, he's a pretty big Don Granado fan. Like that's I would imagine that he that he's a big supporter of his. So, you know, maybe Donnie's just, maybe Donnie's just the guy that knows how to push the buttons right the right way and, and is able to keep everybody keep everybody uh, you know, on on par and, and, and even keeled.
2: Joe, last thing I have for you, musical chairs, the musical chairs of the goalie situation across the league right now. Um, if I were to back you into a corner and say that you could win $1 million cash, no, no untaxed, um, if you could properly guess who the Sabres end up with uh, at the goaltender position that isn't currently on the roster, who would it be? What's the name?
0: Uh I I said this on the podcast, I I really, you know, if you're just looking for somebody to kind of hold the seat for a year or two, uh, I like James Reimer in that Mm. spot. Um, Older guy, you know, again, great vibes, an outstanding superhuman being, uh, but can play really well in goal. Um, I did, you know, his, his numbers last year on a bad San Jose team were pretty good, uh, but you got to be prepared for him to, to miss some games. You know that's, that's always that's always a catch sure. uh, with 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 goalies, but uh, but I, I I think Reimer's profile works pretty good, but uh, I mean, but that's a move you got to make a trade to do. I I can't imagine they're going to be jumping into free agency for somebody that you need to sign for four, you know, three, right. four, five years. Like I just don't see that happening. But um, but somebody like him, maybe an Eric Comrie, but I. I I think with Anderson there, you have to get somebody who can, who can kind of carry that load a little bit more. You know, fifty, you know, forty, sure. forty-five to fifty-five games somewhere in there, and then you know, just kind of feel it out from there. But I like Reimer because I think he, I think the the price to get him is isn't that high, and I, I think what the value he can bring you for what the, for the way he plays and the way he carries himself is is very good.
2: Joseph, I appreciate you my friend. Enjoy your weekend. Uh if you're going to the Taste of Buffalo, I I'm, I won't be able to go. I'm leaving tomorrow for a golf trip and then I have a wedding today. So I'm missing the Taste of Buffalo, which is always a a tough thing for me because the Dalmatia Hotel always has a stand right at the end and I'm always mm-hmm. sort of I'm always sort of finding myself finishing the afternoon there. Um so if you go, make sure you you finish off at Dalmatia for me.
0: Yeah, I I I don't know if I'm today it's a crazy weekend for me, but uh, we'll we'll see. If I pop down there, I I, I got to see which crazy flavors the Dalmatia Hotel brings brings to the party with the uh, with the wings. So, yeah,
2: they yeah. always they 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 tend to they they. Speaking of vibes, they tend to bring the vibes on the on the wing sauces. So, <laughs> <laughs> Joe, yeah. appreciate you, my friend. Enjoy your weekend. and Talk soon.
0: Yeah, you got it, Nate. Take care, man. All
2: right, Joe Yurden there uh, on the Western Hot. I'm going to take a timeout. Pete Smith of SI joining us, talking Browns side of things on the Baker Mayfield trade that's coming up next year on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR.
0: Honestly, I honestly have no regrets of my time in Cleveland, of what I tried to give to that place. True Clevelanders and true Browns fans know that. And that's why I can walk away from the whole situation feeling like I did it. I feel disrespected 100% because I was told one thing and they completed another. Okay. I got I got my taste of it because I've had four different head coaches in four years, a bunch of different coordinators. I've had talk about the highs. They always come back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they always come back. <laughs> always. Yeah. But like, I mean, I had great times my rookie year. Like, I didn't, I didn't start in the beginning. I came in and got to have fun the back half of the year. 2019 sucked. 2020 was great. Made the playoff. 2021 was miserable. It's like, yeah. I'm just looking for stabilization right now. And like, I know what I need to do for me to be, to be the best version of me right. and to be able to lead an organization. And like, I'm in a good place right now. Right. Where like, I have no clue where I'm going.
2: That was Baker Mayfield. Uh, about a month maybe two months ago i forget the name of the podcast that he was on but talking about his future at the time that was right around the deshaun watson signing um that was the you know what i mean podcast you know what i mean in april in april so it was a few months back all right everybody welcome back to sports talk saturday Nate Geary here we're gonna go back to the western hotline si's pete smith he covers the cleveland browns is joining me and um is it is it like kind of like a maybe a little weight off of everyone's shoulder like okay we can stop talking about the baker mayfield trade because like even i was getting a little bit like it was just kind of getting old for me to have to talk about it all the time i had you on like five times since april i talked to uh jake burns uh if, if somebody covered the cleveland browns they've been on this station in this time so i imagine that you guys are probably all a little relieved to to maybe get the opportunity to talk about some football here in the near future huh
1: uh, as soon as that is allowed to happen, that would be great. But the thing is, like, here's the thing. Baker Mayfield, I, I know people, you know, in Cleveland and, and, and would say they were sick of talking about Baker Mayfield, but he was a great distraction from having to talk about um, the other stuff. And that allowed people to sort of, you know, have a sports argument as opposed to constantly having to talk about Deshaun Watson. So, I mean – I totally get it, and what was always funny watching it from a Cleveland standpoint is you would have people who would talk about Baker Mayfield endlessly who would then talk themselves into this idea that the Browns had to either trade him or just cut him because it was a distraction when it was themselves who couldn't stop talking about him. The team had more than enough to worry about uh, with everything they have going on. Beyond Deshaun Watson, they just have a lot of stuff going on with their team, and Baker Mayfield was off rehabbing and and training by himself so it was never really a thing for them it was a thing for everybody else so I I look at it as a a relief for Baker Mayfield I I look at it as a an end to that area where we don't have to think about you know the one in a million chance of well what happens if you know (laughs) somehow they work it out and Baker Mayfield's here again so it's nice to be able to move on but you know we're still sort of there's this little bit of a holding pattern because we're still waiting to find out what's going on with Watson.
2: And I get the sense, Pete, we're probably going to wait a little bit wa- a little bit longer on that Watson decision as well. Or typically, it's going to happen like on a – I was actually surprised it didn't happen last weekend on Friday. I was almost preparing for it to happen before the holiday. Like, news dump Friday felt very – like, felt very – just very NFL-y uh, for them to drop a bomb right before a long weekend on a Friday news dump in the afternoon, like that. That that felt right. It didn't end up happening, but let's talk a little bit about the destination for Baker Mayfield, Pete. And um, I'm sure that you uh, you're, you're well polished on your Ben McAdoo uh, X's and O's, just like all of us. But you know, from a, from a landing spot perspective, from a hey, you know, Baker Mayfield didn't work out here in Cleveland, but I'm I'm rooting for his success elsewhere. Is this the best possible spot, considering that most of the quarterback musical chairs, that carousel, had been had been pretty solved? Knowing that this and Seattle were kind of his two primary options, do you, do you feel like he got to the destination that's going to help him maybe work back to the player that he was in 2020?
1: Best is tough. I, I don't know if you can say best, given the uncertainty that's uh, going on with the Carolina Panthers, but he could have done a lot worse. I mean, there's no getting around that. I mean, the fact of the matter is, Yes, Carolina has some offensive line questions, but they've also just added Iki Aquanu in the draft. They signed Bradley Bozeman. They signed Austin Corbett. They've got a very talented right tackle, so they at least have the pieces to get their offensive line squared away. They've got a terrific receiver in D.J. Moore uh, who sets the table for their receiving game, and then they've got Christian McCaffrey, and if he can stay healthy, that gives them some real weapons and game changers where – you know, Baker Mayfield doesn't have to necessarily carry the team. He just has to stabilize the team. They have a nice young defense that's fast and can fly around. They don't need him to sort of carry the team. They just need to allow the team to function and not get in the way. And he can do that. And and that's sort of a realistic expectation, especially if you're looking at the the the, the week one matchup where Carolina is going to host the Browns. But as the season goes on if he can get a little bit of momentum going, actually, you know, which was the story in the 2020 season, then maybe he can get them a little bit further. But weapons-wise, he's in a great spot. Offensive lines, obviously a question mark. Defensively, they've got a lot. So, I mean, Carolina is a team that can theoretically make the playoffs. Um, it's not going to be easy, but the NFC is, as a conference is down. So there's a lot of opportunities for teams to sort of make a run. So from that standpoint it's a great situation in the fact that, you know, I, I know they're calling it a quarterback competition, but it, it, right. I don't think it's really a quarterback competition, but the fact he's going to get to play, he's going to get to play with, uh, with teammates and in a, a functional team is great for him because now I think the danger for him was going somewhere. Let's throw out San Francisco, for example, for some reason, the 49ers wanted to trade for, for Baker Mayfield, just because they wanted to, to get something for Garoppolo Uh, And he doesn't play, then he's out of sight, out of mind. You've got a terrific quarterback class, at least what we think, coming out in 2023. He could, you know, out of sight, out of mind becomes a problem for a quarterback like that. And Mm. with the questions he has, with the inconsistency, with the other things, that, you know, then he becomes Mitch Trubisky, uh, Mm. who might have to go somewhere for a year. And then, yes, right now, Mitch Trubisky's got a good shot to maybe start in Pittsburgh. But it's on like what, a two year $50 million dollar deal yeah. with incentives. Uh, that if he's the starter he gets paid a lot, and this is sort of Baker Mayfield's best chance to avoid being Trubisky.
2: Interesting. Yeah, it's a good parallel, I think, to draw there with with Baker Mayfield. But is that it for, for Baker, Pete? Like is is he resolved to be a game manager for the remainder of his starting career, however long that might be? Because It just feels like, as a former number one overall pick, and and a guy that came from an offense that was so prolific in college, and a guy that can throw the football all over the field, at least, you know, while he was in at Oklahoma, I just wonder that, like, is he going to be? Mm, I mean, Kirk Cousins, I had this conversation yesterday on my podcast where, like, you know, Kirk Cousins has been actually a pretty prolific passer considering the amount of opportunities he's had to throw in that Gary Kubiak offense. He's going to get more opportunities this year with Kevin O'Connell. But, like, is this going to be Baker's destination, better be an offense that can spread it out and throw the football for him to become anything more than a game manager? Because it just feels like... It it's just so interesting the conversation about Baker has turned from a guy that, you know, could potentially throw for 4500 yards and 28 30 touchdowns a couple of years ago to being a guy that now is, you know, Carson Wentz.
1: Yeah, the thing about Kirk Cousins is if you look at his numbers, he's going to probably have a really strong argument to make the Hall of Fame and I don't want to see that happen. But, you know, you just numerically the statistics he's piling up, the efficiencies he's piling up, like that's going to be a thing. As far as Baker Mayfield goes, uh, in some ways he's his own worst enemy. In some ways he is the limiting factor on what he can be. There's no doubt he has ability. In fact, I would say Sam Darnold still has ability. I wouldn't give up on either of those guys in terms of NFL quarterbacks. Now, I wouldn't pay $18.8 million for Mayfield or $18.5 million for Darnold. But if you're just trying to find a quarterback with upside that can, can still develop and become a – potentially very good quarterback in a second act those are guys i would look at but with Mayfield it's not you know people knock him because he's short he's slow whatever but he's been very good he you know he's got multiple games where he's thrown five touchdowns he's got any number of prolific performances it's about consistency for him and it's about the the issue with Baker Mayfield in some ways the the the, the key to his success is that he uses all of this you know to put a chip on his shoulder he loves spite he loves to prove people wrong the problem is that works against him when people are trying to help him it may give him some tough love or he doesn't take it that way and now he's trying to prove them wrong as opposed to taking that coaching and and trusting them and that's been an issue for him in the nfl a little bit and that came out uh in the past two years he had a ton of success in 2020 2021, he gets hurt, and then he stops trusting the coaching staff, and in some ways, the coaching staff stops trusting him. That is where you can limit what you can be. I think Baker Mayfield has to stop make, and I and I hate to say it this way, but he has to stop being a victim in mm. the sense that he got hurt. That's awful. Uh, obviously, the Browns moved on from him. That doesn't feel good. I, I understand all those things about your uh, pride and, and feeling like some people turned on him and all this stuff but if he holds on to that and makes himself into a continuing victim then that's going to ultimately kill his career the, the, the obvious counterpoint is he has a fresh start in Carolina can he sort of embrace that and sort of put that stuff behind him and just look at I have an opportunity to prove myself to be to get better as a quarterback and regardless of what, I, what happens in, in, this year in Carolina, he's probably going to hit free agency. So he's got to be able to be the best he can be and sort of prove to people that he's coachable, that he can take that uh, tough criticism and that he's going to, to blossom. Uh, in some ways, that was the reason Seattle was such an appealing uh, situation for him was because Pete Carroll is sort of a guy who's thrived with the type of player Baker Mayfield is. Mm. And that may all, still happen. But those are the issues that you can see where he, he kills, kills his own career. And, but if he can grow up and sort of get through that and, and understand who he is and what he can still be, then, then he could have a great second act. I mean, the bottom line is Baker Mayfield would be the starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns this year if they didn't get Deshaun Watson. That's, that's just how it was going to be. They were going to run it back. They weren't going to move on to Garoppolo. They weren't going to make another move this came down to opportunity to get what they believe is a special special quarterback who can take them to the super bowl even with all the baggage
2: we've got pete smith he's the editor of the si browns digest here on the wester hotline semi regular of the program talking some browns and talking baker mayfield and where i wanted to go with you pete to, to kind of wrap things up here for the for the morning portion of our show is trying to project out What this Browns team looks like, not knowing how many games Deshaun Watson's going to spend um, on the sideline, is a difficult task. But knowing that Jacoby Brissett, a player that I think is, you know, listen, I mean, limited as a player is probably the right way to frame it. Um, But there's a level of respect that I know the league has, players around the league, coaches, general managers have for Jacoby Brissett. I'm wondering, you know, if let's, and let's just use eight games as a benchmark. If Jacoby Brissett starts the first eight games, knowing the first eight games for this Browns team, you feel like you're probably going to be in a good position after going into week nine with Deshaun Watson coming back, right?
1: I don't know about good, but feasible in sure. terms of making the playoffs. Uh, you're in a spot where you can do it. I think uh, you know it just it, it just takes away a lot of room for error for Watson. It not not to say in that situation he'd have to go nine and zero, but he wouldn't have much more than that. Obviously, the Browns' first month is reasonable. Uh, obviously, they play Carolina, which is a little bit tougher all of a sudden, but that those first games are winnable even with Brissette. After that, it gets pretty rough pretty quick, and if you have Watson come back week nine, you do have a pass, uh, and you you're probably going to need help, uh, just given how uh, difficult the AFC landscape yeah. is to make you know the make the playoffs. I mean, you look at the AFC West, uh, and, and four teams who think they're going to be playoff contenders. You know, it's it's just it's it's going to be difficult if, if if it's more than those eight games forget it because at that point you are then Watson has to be perfect they cannot lose a game with him at quarterback and they have to overperform with Jacoby Brissett and Jacoby Brissett isn't going to make a lot of mistakes his career interception rate is like 1.4 uh, he, he averages like 122 yards passing per game you know he's not going to carry you but with the running game they have and the defense they think they have you can probably win a decent number of games. Uh, it's just you're not going to go to the playoffs with Jacob Ruper set obviously for 17. So it's a question of how far can you, how how long can you mitigate? And if they have an injury of some sort, if something goes wrong for them, and, and it's the NFL, it's going to happen. If they lose a major player and that's it, the Miles Garrett goes down, Denzel Ward's out for a while, whatever, then it just becomes that much more difficult. So that, yeah, I think eight. Games or less of uh, with Deshaun Watson out, the Browns have a chance. No lock, no guarantee, no anything like that. But at least they have a path. Anything more than that, I think it's just it, it's fantasy land.
2: Pete, before I let you go, uh, tell the folks if you've got anything uh, upcoming here over the next couple of weeks as we head into training camp, where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work.
1: Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Pete Smith underscore. I, I, and look, in addition to the Deshaun Watson thing, which is everything. Uh, it's going to be previewing uh, what's coming for the Browns training camp. It's going to be previewing, obviously, when we do get a verdict, wh- where the Browns go from here, how feasible is it going to be depending on the number of games to compete. Uh, and then ultimately, now we have to actually talk about the Browns as a football team as opposed to a, the Browns as a courtroom case.
2: And that will be a pleasant uh, change of pace, I'm sure, for all of my buddies down there covering the Browns. Pete, as always, buddy, thanks for being available for me on your Saturday. Enjoy your weekend, and uh, good luck in the next couple of weeks as we head into training camp.
1: Yep, thanks for having me, as always.
2: Awesome, buddy. Appreciate it. Pete Smith there on the Western Hotline. Going to take a timeout. We've got the 12 o'clock hour coming up. Sheena Quick is going to join us to talk about the Panthers' side of this situation. So that's coming up next here on WGR. All right, welcome back. I'm going to take an opportunity here to preview our next guest, Sheena Quick. She is the beat reporter at 1340 AM Fox Sports. She's going to join us on the other side of this break. We're going to talk about the Panthers' view of the Baker-Mayfield trade, how that projects out, what the Sam Darnold situation looks like, can Christian McCaffrey stay healthy, all of that on the uh, the other side as we talk to Sheena, uh, who covers the Carolina Panthers. So don't go anywhere here on WGR.